um, I want today to introduce him, but I want to, I, I asked him if I could get up and introduce him because I want to give a big round of applause and just to say thank you that we love you. So y'all give a round of applause for Todd Watkins. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Hey, thanks everyone. Good morning. All right. I'm excited to be able to share with you. We're kind of in the series going through uh, what it means to be fully alive. And we're gonna, I'm going to talk about the topic of living out our identity uh, as servants of Christ, what it means to live that out as a servant of, of God, and how that, in that, there's, there's life that comes through living that out. So I'm going to pray also. I know a couple other folks have been prayed, but I want to pray too as we get started here. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that we have together to come and to worship you and to set our hearts and our minds on you. And I pray that you would be really lifted up during this time, that your uh, glory, your beauty, who you are would be seen in a deeper way, and we would understand what you've called us into as followers of Christ and what that means for our lives. And I pray you give me clarity in what I share and how I share it, and that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, this topic of um, living as servants of of. God or living out our identity as servants. I, I gave Tori a couple of different topics. He asked me if I would be willing to share, and I gave him a couple of topics. He said, hey, why don't you share on this one? And I kind of was excited about it when he said to share on that. It's something that I've been, I feel like God's been growing me in and shaping my life in this area over a number of years, and it's given me a lot of, I think, thoughts and things that kind of impacted me that I, hopefully I can give to you and impart it to you. Uh, when I think about this uh, idea of identity, I think it's a real big thing that all of us um, kind of try to find out or figure out, right? I mean, as humans, and probably particularly in our cult, this particular culture, we um, tend to look for our value and our identity in things that we do, right? Or things that we have. And I think our culture emphasizes that a lot, right? What you do is kind of who you are, identifies who you are. So your type of job, the position at your job, or the things you have, my nice car, or my nice house, or my big bank account, it makes us feel more important and more valuable when we have those things. Or it could be our image, how we look. It could be our knowledge, the things we know. We tend to, we tend to look to those things and find our significance in those things. I mean, we all, I think, inside every human being, we have a desire for significance and value. And the more we have something that gives us value, the more we want it, Right? If I have this job and I can get a better position that gives me more value, then I feel better about myself. I feel more significant. And that's a natural sense, a natural feeling that we, we all go through. But the problem with this is that that can also kind of be a snare. It kind of, can kind of trap us. When we are looking for our, our identity and the things we do or the things we have, we can be trapped by how others view us. And if we don't have those things, we don't keep up with the Joneses, then we don't feel significant or valuable or important, and we start to get in a bad place, kind of within, within ourselves. And I think just in general, our culture is really wrestling with this idea of identity, of who we are as individuals, especially in a secular culture when we're disconnected with something greater than ourselves in secularism that connects us to a larger identity or purpose, and we're just left to ourselves to find out, who am I? 
And, you know, we all wrestle with, who am I? And so we have language that's kind of, we, we see becoming more prevalent, like uh, I identify with this, right? Or I identify as this. And so this is a real deep identity thing that people are strug- struggling with and sexually are struggling with. Who, I, who am I? How do I identify? And what do I identify with? And so we can put that into into sexuality, we can put that into our politics, you know, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, that's who I am, that's what I'm about. We can put that into our sports, you know, I'm a UT fan, that's what I'm about, you know, and get all crazy about that, which is okay to get a little crazy about that, but, but, uh, but you know, we, we, we try to, we take these on as this, this, is, this is what I am, this is who I'm, I am. And I think even tattooing has a little bit to do with that too. I mean, you know, so many people get tattoos. It used to be like you were really unique if you got a tattoo. Now everyone's got them, and it's like, hey, you're just the same as everyone else now. You know, it's unique not having any tattoos. Be clean, be clean. Um, but I, I'm not dissing on tattoos. But uh, but I but but I think there's something to this. Like you know, you're mar- you mark yourself. You mark yourself. Like this is what this is what I believe in or I stand for. This image or this thing is important to me, and I'm branding myself. It's a it's a sense I think of trying to find some type of identity. Um, and it's interesting. What I'd like to do is just take a little bit of time and look at Jesus and how he, um, wh- where he found his security and his identity in and how it was very different than oftentimes how we find it. And I think there's some things we can learn in him because he, when he, f- he found his security in something that allowed him not to be bound by what other people thought of him. And he wasn't trapped by other people's opinions of him. In a sense, he was free from those attachments, free of what others thought of him. He, actually, the scripture tells us that he wasn't living to please men. It says he was living to please God. He wasn't living to get his own glory, it says, but he was living to, for God's glory. It tells us that he wasn't seeking the praise of men, he was seeking the praise of God. And he didn't find his identity in worldly things, like in his position or power or prestige. Actually, he was tempted with that by the devil early into his ministry, you know, he said, the devil said, I'll give you everything if you just bow to me. But Jesus said, no, it's not my, that's not the way I'm going. And Jesus is a, just an interesting and amazing character person. And when we see him, he actually, he comes into the world, right? And he's born into a kind of a nowhere place, into a nowhere family. Um, he supposedly is this king, but yet he comes into the world in just, just a humble way, born in a manger, kind of amongst nobodies. And the scripture even tells us in Isaiah 53 that there was nothing in his appearance to draw us to him. I mean, he could have come as, you know, like a pumped up Rambo guy or something or, you know, but there was, he, he didn't come in a way that, look at me, I'm so grandiose and so majestic. But he, he says there was even nothing in his appearance that would, we would like be drawn to. Um, it's just interesting. And he associated with the poor, the sinful, the sick, those that others would look down upon as not, very, not having much status. He would kind of hung out with those people and spent a lot of time with them. Uh, even when he came into Jerusalem as coming in as the king, he didn't come in on a horse, but he came in on a donkey. It's like, well, that's kind of weird, you know, like coming in on a donkey. You know, it's like, you know, you think he would just come in in his glory, but he comes in this real humble way in all that he did. And in Philippians chapter 2 says that though Jesus was God, being in the nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant. It's just profound to think about. You know, this person that says that though he was God, like had all the power, all the, the glory, he didn't 
kind of like embrace and embody that. Instead, he came in a very humble way to take the nature of a servant and to serve us, to serve the people he was with. And he constantly was serving people, and ultimately he dies on the cross for us, for people who didn't deserve it. But he laid his life down completely for all of us, for this whole world. And I, this thing is fascinating when we, look, when we think about Jesus and we say, you know, if there's any place that we are supposed to see what God is like, it's in, 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 in this whole world and all that exists, the Bible tells us that Jesus is God in the flesh. So if we want to know who is God, what is God like, what is his character like, we, we're supposed to just look at Jesus and say, ah, there it is. There it is. This is what God is like. And this God that created the universe is seen to us in this humble person, Jesus. He doesn't take his power and lord it over us. He doesn't demand us to worship him. He doesn't force us to worship him or he doesn't demand us to obey him. He does the opposite. In, in, in Jesus, we see a God who serves, right? A, a God who serves. And, and, and God is, that's what he's doing all the time. He's serving us. Every breath we breathe, he's serving us. And there's a passage in the scripture that I'd like us to, to go through together. Really, I think it, it highlights, it grabs a hold of this picture of who Jesus is and who God is, really. And it's in John chapter 13. So we're going to read that together. If you need a Bible, there are going to be ushers here. They'll come down. If you, if you like a Bible, you can just raise your hand if you, you want to follow along. There's a couple of ways we can follow along in the scripture. One will be um, putting this into your browser, that link or going into the Bible app and typing the Well Austin, and it'll come up with all the scriptures that I'm going to go through. Uh, or we can also, you can also follow along on the screen here as we read this together. Um, <clears throat> a lot of us might know this passage. You might be familiar with it, but let's try to like look at it with some fresh eyes here. In John 13, it starts off, this is now before the feast of the Passover, right? So this is when Jesus is kind of towards the end of his life, he's getting all his disciples together. He's going to take the Passover, the, what we today celebrate the Lord's Supper. He's kind of taking this with his disciples, very intimate time. And it says, And Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world, this world, to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is really interesting. Um, telling us about his love for those he was with. Right? And it says he's going to love them to the end. In another past virgin, it says he's going to show them the full extent of his love. Or this word can be translated, he loved them completely or literally eternally. So he's going to show them in this moment something, the, the fullness of his love for them. He's going to display it before them. And so it says during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So Jesus knew, kind of this was, guy was already going to betray him. And says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, he rose up from the supper. And I, I just pause a, a second here on this verse because I think this is a really important verse. It's telling us, Jesus knew where his identity rested. He says I, he knew that God had given him all things. He knew that he came from God and he was going back to God. So then out of that, he acts. Out of that, he rises up to do something that shocks the disciples that would have been kind of like completely counter to anything they could ever imagine someone doing. 
He's going to actually take, kind of do something humiliating in their eyes. He's going to take the lowest position in that culture as a foot washer. But he does this, and, he, and, and, and for him, it's not going to bother him because he doesn't care what they think of him because he knows who he's from. He knows what God has given him, and he knows where he's going. He knows his identity. And so he can act in a way that may be counter to culture because he's rooted in that. So it says, he laid aside his garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. So Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Peter is re reacting in a, an appropriate way, right? No, 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 no. You're like the king. Like you're, you're going to be the king. You know, like you don't do this. You don't take that position. That's a low position. You have a high position. You have a high value. That's a low value. No, no, no. You don't do that. And he's thinking just the way most of us would think, right? Your identity is not that, Jesus. Your identity is something different. But Jesus takes this position because he's trying to teach them something and show them something about his character and what he's calling them and all of us into. So Simon, or Peter's funny. You know how he's like real extreme. And so he, he kind of uh, goes back here and he says, um, so Jesus answers him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me pretty strong. So Peter says to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head as well. You know, he's like, he's like he, he goes from one side never to wash me all of me, right? It's like, clean, and so clean me all up. And Jesus says to him, you know, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not one of every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said not all of you are clean. It's interesting, again, Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and yet he still washes even Judas's feet. Even the person that, yeah, even the person that was going to completely betray him into death. He's serving that man. When he washed their feet, he put on his outer garments he, and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. He is the Lord. He is their teacher. He has a position of authority in their lives and significance. So if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus is in this amazing setting here, is saying, look it, this is what it, it's about. This is what it's about to follow me. This is what my kingdom is about. It's about serving each other. It's about laying your life down for each other. It's about caring for each other. And if you do these things, because your teacher is doing these things, I'm sending you an example, and, and they're going to be challenged in where they find their identity here in a minute. But if you do these things, you will be blessed. And so there's something here I'll touch on later is that is this idea of 
life comes to us when we follow Jesus in this example. There's blessing that's going to come. So right after this, he keeps talking about the betrayal and Judas stuff. And then at, after he talks about that, he gives him a new commandment, which is really significant in verse 34. <clears throat> he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so he just shows them his love for them. And now he says, now in the same way, I'm giving you a commandment to love each other this kind of way. And as you serve each other, as you lay your life down for each other, then all people will see that you are like me. You are my disciple. And when, we, when people see servant-hearted people, that is what reflects the nature and heart of Jesus. And he says, when people see that, then they'll know that you're of me. So he calls him into that, and, and he talks a little bit there and then about Peter's denial, and, and, and so kind of there's some interaction probably going on. And it's real interesting that right after this, the disciples get into a dispute, right? They get into an argument. And it may have come because Jesus was just talking about who was going to deny him. And maybe they were kind of like, well, it's not going to be me. Maybe it's going to be you and not going to be me. And, uh, and then it's like, no, I'm not, it's not me. I'm, I'm the best in the group. You know? I'm one of the better ones. I'm actually going to be probably on Jesus' right-hand side or left-hand side. You know, they start getting into this who's the greatest conversation. It's right after this happened, Jesus is teaching them to be a servant, and then they're missing it kind of, and now they're starting to argue what, who's the greatest amongst them, right? So if we flip back to Luke 22, which gives us a little picture of that story, and a couple other passages will give it to us, but I'm just going to focus on this one. Luke 22, it says, uh, A dispute also arose amongst them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority call them benefactors. Right? So he says the people, the way the kings of this world work is they do exercise their lordship over others. And those in authority say, hey, these are your helpers, or these are the ones who take care of you. These are the good people over you. But then he says, but this is not to be so with you, right? You're to do this differently. Rather, let the greatest amongst you be the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves, emphasizing this service again. And he says, for who is greater one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? This is interesting here. He says, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am a one among you as one who serves. So Jesus says, okay, basically, it's greater to be the one who serves. But then he says, but it's actually greater to be the one at the table. It's like, what? What are you talking about? You know, it's greater to be the one who serves, but then he says, but who is greater, the one who serves or one at the table? And he says, oh, it's the one at the table. And yeah, that's right, right? I mean, in the world's eyes, it's greater to be at the table, right? And it's greater to be one at the table. I mean, I was uh, just was recently invited to a, uh, a fundraising thing, and they had this kind of these different tables, and they had one table that was if you gave $100,000 or more, you were at that table. If you gave... $50,000 or so, you're at this table, $20,000 here, $10,000 here, and the rest of us, you can just sit in the cracks or something, right? So, but it was like this idea, right? It's like, oh, those are the important people at that table. I mean, they're the big givers, right? And that's how it works. Whoever's at the table, who's at the head of the table is even more important, right? Imagine at your workplace, right? 
There's circles of influence and importance. Jesus says, yeah, that's right. But I'm amongst you as one who serves. And he's, gonna, he's teaching them a different way to go about in, in recognizing our importance and value. And then he says this, and this is really important. In verse 28, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is saying to them, you are to serve, but you do have a seat at the table. You have a seat at my table. And my Father has given me a kingdom. I'm giving you a kingdom. And I'm inviting you into my circle of importance and influence and significance. You're going to sit at my table and on my throne to judge the nations. But the way we go about our table is a table of service towards others. And in this, he's, he's giving them a new identity. He's giving them a new way to live. And he's calling us to think differently about who we are and how we are also to live. Because if you follow Christ, if you've surrendered your life to him, then he gives you a place at that table too. He's given you, he's made you a son, he's made you a daughter. He's made you an heir of the kingdom of God for all of eternity. You have been brought into that. And when we understand this, it can release us from the pressure to find our identity in our worldly positions or the things we do. Because now we've been given an identity of who we are. We're God's. We're His. We belong to Him and we are significant because He said you're significant and you're loved. And it doesn't matter so much now what other people think about me because what matters most is what God thinks about me and what He said to me is like, you are important. You are at my table. And so we can have security like Jesus had security of who we are, where we come from, and what we've been given. And we can be free, free from the opinion of others. And we're all going to wrestle with this. It's all hard for us. It's difficult because we, 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 we are prone to find our identity in the things that we do. But Jesus wants to free us from that so that we can take the nature of a servant and not worry what others think of us because we're secure in God. And I've, you know, I'm challenged with this, and I maybe have mentioned this another time at the well, but one of the ways I earn profession is through, uh, I own a small pool cleaning uh, business, maintenance business. And it's not a very glorious job, you know. And I can be tempted to feel insecure about who I am because I don't have a great-looking uh, job, I think a lot of times we boast up in our jobs. You know, like, I do this, I do this. I'm pretty cool because I do this, right? And it's, not, it's fine to be proud of what we do. I'm not saying that. But when you're telling someone, yeah, what do you do? You know, someone asks you, what do you do? Yeah, I clean pools. Kind of lame. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I clean pools. Yeah, it's kind of weak. But, uh, I, you know, doctor, I'm the CEO of uh, the pool cleaning or whatever, you know. <laughs> so, but, um, but, you know, I, in that, I think God has really wrestled, challenged me, okay, where is my identity? And you know what? I, I've, I've, I've come to a place where I can find a lot of joy in what I do because I get to, I'm in a service industry. I get to serve people and I get to make their lives better in a small little way, even though they have got the big mansion on the hill and I'm just a guy in the back scrubbing the pool. But listen, I, I've got the real mansion that's going to last forever. I've got the, the table that I'm sitting at and it's Jesus. 
And I can take joy in that and, God, this is who I am and I get to bless and I get to serve and I get to do good to these people who I'm working for and I can find joy in that work because that's not my identity. You know, it could be really lame. I'm just this pool cleaner, this sucks. But I can find joy in it and you can find joy in your work because that's not who you are. You are who God says you are. And I can be proud of that. And I can be excited about that because that's who I am. And when our hearts get secure in God's love, we can be free. But we need to get our hearts secure in God's love and who he says you are. We can know a lot about the Bible, but if it's not rooted in our hearts, it's not going to affect the way we live, impact the way we live and the things that we do and not be tied up and enslaved by others. Um, There was a time in my life where God really spoke to me um, and impacted me in this way. I was at a conference, and they were talking a little bit about our identities in Christ. And they challenged us to take some time and to um, think about um, this question, what, uh, or ask God this question, God, what do you think about me, and what do you feel about me, and who do you say I am? It's kind of those three questions. And to take some time just with you and God and ask him those questions. And so we got by ourselves, had a little journal, and I remember sitting there before God, and, I, and as I was starting to ask those questions, I recognized what I was feeling inside was I was feeling like in that moment that I had, was a failure. I was feeling like I had just, I wasn't very good at much. And I remember just sitting there before the Lord, and in that feeling of me feeling not very valuable, I really heard the Spirit of God speak and say, Todd, in you I take delight. In you I take delight. And in that moment, I just wept. I mean, I just wept because it spoke so deep into my heart that, God, you love me. You love me. You know, I'm just this mess up person. <laughs> and you love me. And in that, I just realized, you know, God delights in me and he wants me to delight in him and there's joy in God's presence and there's life in God's presence. And when I go back and I feel like I'm not very valuable, I go back to that place and, you know, no, God said I'm valuable. He spoke, has spoken into our lives. The word of God says you're valuable. And I think the spirit of God wants to say that to you too. Just like God said to Jesus when Jesus started his ministry, this is my son who I love and well pleased with. A lot of times we don't feel like we're pleasing God. But gee, God says, no, I am pleased with you. My son died for you. He has saved you. You have become my son, my daughter. I love you. You are mine. And when our hearts are rooted in this, we can live a different kind of way. We can begin to walk out our identity as servants. And as we walk that out, we begin to find life. We begin to serve others and we begin to find, oh, there's actually life in serving others. There's death, too, to myself, but there's life. And Jesus shows us the pattern of a man who lays his life down for serving others, even on a cross, but then God raises him from the dead and says that true life, the true power, comes as we lay our lives down for others. New life is birthed out of that. And if any of you are in here and you've got kids, you know that, right? I mean, it takes so much work and service and sacrifice to love your kids and to help your kids and changing diapers and getting up with them at night and all this stuff you got to do and you put yourself aside and you have to die to yourself constantly, constantly. My, and I just think about my wife. I mean, she's constantly serving my kids and laying our lives down, laying her lives down. And it's hard and you don't want to do it half the time. 
and you got a bad attitude the other half of time. And, <laughs> and, and you, you, it's like this, you know, you're doing it. And in it, you find the greatest joy you've ever experienced when you see your kids growing and you see them developing and you see the family coming together. And you see, wow, there's life. As I lay my life down, there's life in it, even though it's really, 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 really hard. And you feel like you can't do anything, you know? There's a period of time in your life you're like, you can't even go out because you're, you're kind of trapped in your house because you can't get away, right? <laughs> it's like, I can't go anywhere. Like, I can't go on a date night because it's like, I can't leave these kids alone. And yet there's beauty that comes out of it. There's life. And the scriptures indicate this, not just within our, see how we see it in our families, but how we see it with others. And the scriptures tell us in uh, 2 Corinthians, um, even in the light of mission, in the light of the gospel, in the light of uh, doing God's work, we see this same thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, sorry, chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 5, this is Paul talking to, to the Corinthians whom he, he loved, who he labored for, whom he laid his life down so that a church may be started there. He says of this, for, we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as a Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who set light, said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way. And they're afflicted. He's afflicted because he's serving them and because of the work he's doing for the kingdom of God to plant churches. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And here's the secret, right? Here's the secret as we lay our lives down, as we serve for others and, and die to ourselves for the sake of others, there's life in that. There's life, there's experience of the resurrection, Jesus Christ, the life of God. Not only do we experience it, but others experience that life, right? As I serve you, you may know Christ more, right? I mean, think about Tori and the others who started this church, you know, six years ago or so, laying their light down, serving tirelessly for this community, and yet life has been birthed out of it, and more and more life. Jesus said this is the path of life. In Luke, this next scripture here, Luke chapter 9, See if you pull up. He says, He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. He says, this, Jesus says, This is what it's about to follow me. It's, mean, it's denying yourself. It's mean taking up your cross. It's mean being a servant. And in that, you lose some of what the world says is life, but you gain what is true life. Our culture and our world says, tells us all the time, follow yourself, follow you, follow whatever makes you happy. And that's a lie. It ultimately doesn't make us ultimately happy to follow just ourselves, whoever gets your life, get your wealth, get your status, get your position, 
Are you truly full of joy in life there? People have abandoned their families and ruined their families for careers. They've ruined their families to go and find other women that make them feel more happy because they follow the lie, do what makes you happy. I have a grandfather, actually, who told me this often. Do what makes you happy, Todd. And I really loved and respected my grandpa. But you know, when I was in my late 20s, I found out my grandpa had been having an affair for 17 years on my grandma and had another family, basically. Oh, that brought a lot of life into all of us. That brought a lot of joy into my family. It brought a lot of pain. It brought a lot of hurt. And when then lie, we just go do what you want to do. Go do what makes you happy. It's not what brings life. Following Jesus brings life because Jesus is the author of life and he showed us the way to life. It's laying our life down for others. And when we do that, we're walking in his way. And it says in John chapter 12 in this next verse that Jesus said, um, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We follow Jesus. We're going to go where he went. And he washed feet. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and, and stewards of the mysteries of God. And First Peter says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We are free. And we live our freedom out as servants of Christ. And so the scripture calls you and I, the church, ministers. You know, I don't know if you knew that. It doesn't just call the people up front, the pastors, the ministers. It calls us ministers because what minister means is servant. And it calls us all into being servants or ministers of God's word, to serve God's word to each other. Ministers of love to serve God's love to each other. Ministers of his gifts to serve those gifts to each other for the Spirit gives us. And ministers of reconciliation, serving the good news of the gospel to the world that they can too be reconciled to Jesus Christ. We are ministers of God and we get to do that and be that. That's God's calling and plan for your life. You are loved, you are his, and now you get to live that out to bring his love and his goodness into the world, in and through you to the world around you. And that's beautiful. It's glorious, but it's hard. Not easy, but there's joy and great life in that. And so as you guys are kind of meditating on this and thinking about this the rest of your week, there's two things I'd like to to challenge you to do. One of them is to sit before God and ask him those questions that that guy told me to ask God. Ask God those questions. God, what do, you, what do you think about me, feel about me, and who do you say I am? And in just prayer, asking God, Holy Spirit, to speak into your life who he says you are. Because you've got to hear God speak that into your heart. Our, our lives won't be changed unless we really deeply understand who we are in Christ. And out of that, we'll live differently. So I want to challenge you just to keep seeking God. God, who do you say I am? What does your word say about who I am? And what does your spirit say about who I am? And the other thing is to sit before God. And one thing I often do is I kind of have a list of people in my life, family and friends and coworkers and neighbors and all that kind of stuff, and I pray through them. And one thing I found really helpful is to sit before God and, say, and listen to God's spirit again and say, God, who in, in, this, in the people in my life, who can I serve today? Who can I be a servant towards? Who can I bless? Who can I 
help? Who can I give a word of encouragement? Who can I do anything for that you may be leading me to do? So it's not just me and my ideas, but I'm listening to God and I'm obeying God and acting as a servant to another person. Maybe it's sending them a text message. Maybe it's sending them an email saying, hey, I really appreciate you. Maybe it's helping babysit someone's kids. I don't know what it is. Cooking someone a meal. Whatever it is, just listen to the Lord and just do it. And just serve one another. Those two simple things will radically change your life if you sit on those and do those things and meditate on them regularly. All right? So let me pray and we'll close here and we'll, we'll wrap up with some more songs. God, we thank you. Uh, thank you. I just, I just always, it's amazing to me who you are, Jesus, and what you showed us. Um, you showed us who the character of God is. And I just think I'm so far away from that sometimes in my life. And yet you don't, you don't put a burden on me. You just say you're forgiven, you're cleansed, you're new, and you can start with me right now. Be filled with me and follow me and be a servant right now. And I just want to pray that blessing on this church, Lord, a blessing of, you, of everyone in this room knowing who they are in Christ in a deeper way that your spirit would speak to people's hearts. They know that they're loved, that they know that they're chosen, that they know that you, they're yours, that they know that they have significance and value depend, not depending on what they do or how great of a worker they are, how great of a mom they are, how great of a husband or wife. They're valuable because you have said they are. And they would know that and be able to live that out into the world and let you work through them to become servants of your goodness and your gospel and your love to others around them. And that you'd build this church out to be a church when people look at it and they say, oh, these are disciples of Jesus because they love each other, they serve each other, they love those lost, those who are far from you. And people see Jesus in this church. And I pray, God, that you'd do that in all of our lives more and more, that you would be lifted up and it'd be all to your, your fame and to your name. So we love you, we thank you, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.